Hi, it's Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 86 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. They are sitting there on epic talent. And although it's a sweeping generalization, a lot of them love being in their zone of creating. And for many, they need to distribute themselves before they can even sell more or anything like that. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hey, Joel here at RevThink, where we exist to help creative owners thrive in business and life and career. I think you're in for a treat today as my guest is the Richard Moore, who's based in the UK in London. Richard and I met in Milan last year at Digital Design Days, and we immediately connected. I think we were like kindred spirits. The thing I love about Richard is he works with startups. He works as a consultant. He also works with or as a sales coach. But more than anything, I love his infectious personality. He's somebody who loves what he does and he loves sharing with others. He loves building community. And he's the type of person that when you sit and talk with him, his infectious enthusiasm can't help but get you excited and get you fired up. He talks a lot about sales and about marketing and storytelling, but all from the perspective of being a business owner, trying to launch a business, run a business, and so forth. And I couldn't help but notice that many of his concepts and principles translate into the creative space. So I thought, hey, Richard, let's sit down and have a chat and compare your world with my world because I want the listeners of the Rev Thinking podcast to gain some insights that might come from how is sales and marketing done in other spaces? Is it the same? Is it different? And there's this idea that Richard and I dive into about creatives need to learn how to distribute yourself that I thought was really charming. And that became the title of this episode. So without further elaboration on my part, I'll let the episode and the conversation with Richard speak for itself in this episode. And also a brief shout out to those of you that are a former attendee at one of my cohort dinners around the world, that Richard is going to be our guest on the cohort happy hour, the global happy hour that's happening on May 28th. And I want to say thanks to Richard for joining us in that conversation. It'll be great to have you. Okay, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation between myself and Richard Moore. So I'm curious because you, uh, am I correct? You just came from having dinner with Tim somewhere in London? Yeah, yeah we did. Um, I had a meeting in London and Tim was in town as well. So I was like, let's go. And um, uh, we're kind of birds of a feather, he and I, uh, in his words. We not only had shared the sure. birthday um, on the 8th of October, but also we... Uh, he was like, oh, do you know this coffee shop called Notes? I was like, well, it happens to be one of my favorite shops in London. So it was perfect. And, and you know, it's pro- I think you and I would be very similar, Joe. It's one of those where you're like, you know what? We really should stop here because we could talk all night. It was just uh, it was a lovely meeting and uh, good to hang out with him. Well, let's let's start here. I want to ask you just a, a simple question. One, how did you get to where you are right now? I, because when you and I met... It was in Milan, correct? Yeah, in October. In October, yeah. We were there both at the uh, Digital Design Days 
conference. Mm. And I know you and I, when we initially connected, it was through another super connector that was there. And she said, you guys have to meet because both you, you know, Richard, you and Joel are people who are passionate about building communities mm. of entrepreneurs. And of course, my focus being on the creative entrepreneurs. Mm. But as you and I sat and compared notes, I thought, ooh, we do have a lot of common things uh, or history and experiences and, and maybe audience in common. So yeah. tell, tell, tell folks just what's the top line of who Richard is and what is your focus? Yeah, it's a, it, on, in the Venn diagram of Joel and Richard as they work, it's quite an overlap, I think, in many ways. So um, uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of backstory, but the, the simple bit is uh, after 10 years corporate, um, working with different um, businesses, helping with sales and different guises and marketing and so on, um, I uh, decided I wanted to pivot out. Uh, I just had a baby and... Um, uh, a number of really rubbish things had happened um, around that time. So I'd lost my grandmother that year, who was very close to me. This was back in 2011, I think it was. And um, and then later that year, my daughter was born without an esophagus. So she had to go into surgery within 24 hours and, you know, a whole year ahead of, of major problems with that. And then three months after she was born, my mother had passed away. So I had a really rough year. And, and it, it's stunning how there's the perverse upside of adversity in that you end up with real perspective on things and the following year I was like you know I had this big kind of implosion and I needed to um, redesign what my life looked like so I started dabbling with some um, consulting and I knew that I could back myself to sell things and I, I, I it was this is you know the early 2010s and so I was thinking you know what does it look like to work more online as a consultant as opposed to just the the, the face to face work I do? Because I was doing a bit of that before I finished with my as an employee, and um, it's been not just a journey of building businesses with other people and so on. Since then, it's been in many ways my kind of rebuilding of me and the therapy and so on, and um, exploring different things and and making everything very much by design. And um, if you look at Milan. What you've got there is an example of um, a lot of hard work culminating in certain people picking up on it and saying, hey, you know what, you, you're valid enough to be at, at this event and, and to meet these people. And, um, you know, the journey continues. But I've really, in, really enjoyed rebuilding from kind of a tight spot. And whilst I look, look back on the corporate side when I worked in London as something I wouldn't want to return to. I'm also very fond um, and appreciative of, of the uh, experience I had there as well. I think that's very much molded me as well as all of the, the rough stuff as well that, uh, that kind of gave me the impetus to switch out. So the years that you worked in London on the corporate side, mm. and I appreciate that transition that you've been through, and I think it's interesting to hear about that mm. adversity bringing perspective, the mm. people that you work with mostly now, what categories do they fall into? Are they startups? Are they creative people? What What is your audience generally? Well, because my sweet spot really is, is taking talent and great ideas and helping the commercializing of it. And, or, you know, maybe it's through marketing or, or direct sales, for instance, it allows me to work very horizontally. So, um, 
I've worked with a guy in South Dakota that imports luxury leather Italian handbags all the way through to someone who does event design for e-gaming tournaments. And and a lot of the time, um, it's similar themes uh, in terms of of, of how to sell and commercialise themselves. But I think, to answer your question very directly, I, I really, really love working with startups and indeed some solopreneurs as as a a bit of fun because they are people who have all the heart and ambition and often as i say a great amount of talent but they just need a little bit of a nudge or a guide in the right direction because some people are missing a, a, a sense of well what do i do and how do i warm up an audience and how do i actually close those first sales all the way through to nine figure businesses so um tomorrow i'm visiting uh one of the leading legal publishing businesses in london um and coaching their sales team on face-to-face six-figure deals and um and so it's a nice kind of range but the themes are often the same throughout um so i work with a lot of corporate um clients because i like doing the the big ticket uh sales and i like being able to have an impact there uh which is noticeable but it's also you know it's just a really it's a really nice thing to be able to give back when you find those solopreneurs or or smaller businesses that have something to give but uh uh they just need a bit of a little bit of a nudge and a, and a bit of a kick in the right direction for maybe a month or two so they're good fun as well so when i think about you being in milan where that audience was all creative types. Mm. These are designers and animators <laughs> and yeah. uh, branding people and, and digital strategists and things mm. like this. Uh, what do you find is particularly energizing or interesting or curious about mm. the people that are in the creative space that you work with? I am and always have been a major fan of talent and it's it's a, a huge level of respect I have for for winners people are, who are talented and people who are winners and people who are both are fascinating and I love being around them and it is good to be around them fascinating thing about people in that space was that I knew I could bring value because they are sitting there on epic talent and although it's a sweeping generalization a lot of them love being in their zone of creating and for many they need to be in they need to distribute themselves uh um, before they can even sell more or anything like that and whilst the whilst life isn't just about selling for these businesses it's also about building a brand and things like that it's it's fascinating that you've got so much talent and ability for and for a lot of them it's there's no voice on for instance online and as a result people aren't thinking of them or, or they're not showing up in conversations and and as a result of that event for instance i picked up uh, some clients, one of one of whom is fantastic digital design agency, but their big problem was exactly that they, you know, they're like no one knows about us, and we need people talking about us when they're having conversations about X, and and so it was really lovely to be able to take such a wonderful talent and just go if we just do this, this, and this, look at how we can really grow, and getting some really great results for them was was just a, a nice thing. So it, it was good to be able to see such great talent but also i didn't feel in any way any kind of imposter syndrome if you see what i mean because i wasn't there pretending to be a digital design 
superstar was there saying, you know what, I can help because I'm bringing in the distribution li- through LinkedIn angle. That was my thing for that particular event. <laughs> well, I love, the, I love the way you said that, that creatives need help learning how to distribute themselves. And yes. I'll put it this way. So you tell me, agree or disagree? <laughs> okay, binary. Because question. Okay. Yeah, this is binary, right? Because nice. this is a okay. very common, very common saying that creatives will tell them. And I find many creative entrepreneurs mm. say this. So imagine an owner of a studio or a production yes. company saying something like this. But Richard, it's all about the work. If we just produce great work, everything else will take care of itself. This is this you you're triggering me, Joel. This is <laughs> this is this is taking me to one of the most overused sayings that needs to be destroyed and squashed, which is, and it really shouldn't be used, which is build it and they will come. It's so terrible when people say right. that. And it's dangerous because what it says is if you make something, even if you make something wonderful, sit back. Or, or even keep polishing it and it will come to you, man. The universe will come to you. And I, and I don't believe we're that lucky. What I, what I believe, because I've seen it, is that we can make wonderful things and talented people out there can all make wonderful things. But it is a tragedy that people sit on that thing and or, or they keep focusing on building that wonderful thing, but they don't distribute it and tell people. And what you end up with is huge talent that can is, is world changing that doesn't see the light of day because it's not being shared so that that saying needs to be revised from build it and they will come to build it and massively distribute it talk about it share it and iterate it in front of lots of people and eventually some people may choose to self-select uh and and buy if you like but it's not perhaps quite as catchy well right it's not it's not as catchy but you make a really right. good point. Yeah, no, I agree. I, first of all, I'm obviously a kindred spirit with you in <laughs> in trying in taking that common myth or that that mm. fantasy and destroying it because I think mm. a lot of creative entrepreneurs suffer with less impact in the world. Like their mm. talent and their gift could have such a greater reach mm. and greater impact and create more value for the world. Yes. But it's it sits it sits under a bushel or it's it's hidden yeah. because and, and let's be clear we're it. not I mean let's be clear we're not talking about it 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 mapping to a transactional outcome this is the case that it may it may help people live a better life or see the world through through a new, more beautiful lens for example some of the people that we met in Milan have do some beautiful wonderful things and it's like you know you've got to get this thing out there and and i in fact used an example of someone i know from italy um uh, called alina who does oil paintings and she shares them on linkedin she sells out every day but also she will get tens of thousands of people a day checking out her post just because they love the art and i think you know there's 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 that, that periphery as well of of um of wonderful outcomes uh, that, that go beyond making cash out of this as well. You know, you're, you're doing good to the, the world when you bring it art. Well, I know a lot of what you talk about is sales. And I'll just say this, I'm very comfortable with that because I work with a lot of my clients in helping them grow yeah. their sales and of course, marketing and positioning and, and related things. 
Mm. But what I'm curious to get your perspective on is when it comes to working with creatives, why mm. is sales often a dirty or sleazy word? Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad you've added that little thing of uh, why when it comes to creatives, because if we're taking, if we're being blunt about it, and that therefore means that there are exceptions that I'm overlooking, creatives tend to have a lot of soul about them and they love, you know, something that's well turned out and well polished and that, that makes feel, people feel good. And they don't want to, they want to avoid things that make people feel awkward. And, and I think we all do, but, but they don't want that to be associated with their, with their great art. But the truth is sales in as an, as an umbrella term holds underneath it a whole spectrum. And, and at one end you have the uh, Wolf of Wall Street style, uh, call them irritants or pests that are smashing a phone and screaming a script and, and maybe not getting the outcome uh, emotionally that the person at the end of the phone is after, all the way through to more of a consultative side, or in fact, indeed, even further still to more of a, let me just share enough value and you decide if you like it. And, and the problem is that sales has the stigma attached to it because typically it it relates to um, uh, a transaction and when money gets involved people act weird and they try and cut corners and and because they might make money they play the volume game and and irritate people and and what's sad is that a good bit of marketing uh, or, or sharing or distribution can lead people to want to buy and the thing is that although people don't like to be sold to people love to buy and when uh, an artist learns that there's a really wonderful way of bringing people to them who decide through being pre-warmed that they want to buy that art, it's a wonderful thing. It's just, you know, that education is required. You know, it needs to be done in the right way. All right. So I'm very curious to unpack one or two things that you sure. said there because I'm I'm sort of grinning from ear to ear because I think there's, there's so many interesting points that you're making. One that I really like that you just said that I want to hang on for a quick second is you mm. used the word consultative. Yes. And this is something I'm wondering <clears throat> if, if we might free creatives, release them from having this sleazy interpretation of the word mm. sales. Mm. If we said sales is simply your opportunity to build a relationship with somebody and share your expertise in order to help improve their life, their business, mm. their world, right? And obviously, yeah. here's my question for you. My question is, when you're selling something small, say a $10 mm. widget, right? it's all about scale, it's all about <clears throat> building a funnel and creating a mass audience and so forth. Yeah. But if I'm trying to sell a $100,000 piece of content like mm. a documentary film right. or a television commercial that, that's going to impact millions of viewers. Yeah. I find that that sales process, it has to be consultative to use your word. Mm. Would you, would you agree in or, or, or not in your experience? I, I, th I think it depends because some people will buy something for a hundred thousand pound price point within a day because it's just hitting all the buttons and then other people take more time 
yeah, it makes sense to be consultative, but I was actually asked this question on a QA and Q and A earlier today. And the actual question was what's different when selling higher ticket items like a hundred K. And I said, what I feel is that whilst every single deal from a dollar to a hundred thousand dollars requires trust, because without trust, there's no transaction. No one will risk even that dollar. The trust and the connection has to run deeper with the higher value product. So I think what it needs to look like isn't necessarily just consulting your way through the process to the transaction. It's building sufficient amount of uh, of deeper trust with that person through a relationship that makes them feel comfortable that you've got this and you're going to look after them and their money's in safe hands. And if I look to six-figure deals that I've done, they've always, the difference in the pitch is almost nothing, but the difference in the amount of interfacing with the buyer has been huge. And, you know, it's just a greater amount of depth. It's perhaps more dinners or more margaritas or whatever it might be. But the yeah. point is that yeah. there's a greater connection. And what I'm, if you can visualize it as the, the bigger the deal, the more you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them, as opposed to nose to nose with them. And there's a massive difference there, I think, um, uh, in Vive, where you're helping them buy, as opposed to selling to them. It's a huge difference. Yeah, I'm thinking of a moment I had last week where I was working with a client. And let's say one of the partners, she's an executive producer. And she was saying, no, 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 I don't do sales. <laughs> and I said, yeah. what if, if I just gave you permission to use a different word, mm. would you be okay with it? Because what I find is you work with these, these clients of your production company mm. and they love you because mm. you solve their problems mm. and you build strong relationships with them. You know who their kids are. You know yes. that their kids just won the soccer tournament and yep. you, this is genuine. This mm. is not some sort of artificial process that you really mm. care about these people. And when you care about them on that level, the trust that it generates leads to more projects, mm. more opportunities. Wouldn't you agree? And she said, mm. yes. And that's what I love about my job. I said, okay, then let's just not call it sales. But can you yeah. please just keep doing that because it works? <laughs> Absolutely. And is that's the point is like that is sales. That's just more of an evolved, elegant, fulfilling way of doing it. And she is totally selling. And the thing is, yeah. by having that relationship, it gets validated in the commercial space by a transaction of money in typically and um and everyone is gleefully getting on with the process of giving the money or receiving uh, uh and and giving or giving the service and no one has a problem with it when it feels good no one has a problem with the selling side and no one has a problem with giving the cash when it feels good and you know i i've heard the mm. same thing a lot when it's like you know oh i hate sales people i ha hate selling i was like what you mean is you hate a particular type of selling and i, I went through um yes. in the late 2000s a um a minor crisis of like why am i why have i got this sales thing why am i doing sales and i didn't feel there's nobility in it and i felt you know i was being comparative with 
friends who perhaps were moving up the chain and they, they were in the traditional professions they were in law or accounting or whatever i remember my friends saying you know you don't want to do the kind of sales you're currently doing because you're current he said i know what you actually do and what you're doing is you're covering it up and kind of describing it in a different way and he said you shouldn't be leaving sales you should be leaving this type of sales and moving to something that's more akin to what you're interested in doing and and he was right it was like i still loved the process of selling but but actually wanted to do it in more of a uh for one of a better phrase a grown-up way mm. Well, it's interesting to say, if I did I hear you right, that you said if you don't like doing sales, it's because you're doing the wrong type of sales. Yeah, I think that everyone actually loves selling when it's done in a more fulfilling way. It's a wonderful thing when someone comes to you pre-warmed and says, you know, I'm pre-qualified and says, I'd love to talk to you about how, I mean, I mean, literally I had two of these today where, where someone was like, I'd love to talk to you about how you can help. You know, what what person wouldn't want to do that? And at the end, they're like, oh, my God, I knew this was a great idea. How would it look? And then you're like, OK, then like this. And, you know, who wouldn't enjoy that? And that's not irritating or difficult or, you know, and it's because we're not approaching people who don't want to be sold to in a way that doesn't help sell them in the first place. Well, I'm thinking back to the days when I was running my own creative studio. Mm. And I always thought, I always thought, is there anything more fun than I get to work with these amazing clients that work at these TV networks and these entertainment companies? Mm. And I, I sit around with my team and we come up with some really cool ideas. And then I call my client and I say, I've got this thing that you should think about. I think this would be so fun. Mm. And long and short of it, a week or two later, we're shaking hands over the phone and saying, Let's do it. Mm. And sometimes these were multi hundred thousand dollar projects. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't complicated. I mean, mm. again, some of these deals get, do get quite complicated and there's contracts and legal and so forth. But yeah. sometimes, sometimes these types of opportunities really are built on trust and there's a handshake. Mm. And you later look back and realize, wow, we just did millions of dollars of work with this. Yeah company this year and we never signed any agreements there were no contracts so what's going on here and i think it mm. it speaks to that word trust that you used earlier yeah, yeah exactly and there's there's a, a depth of you know you by extension are part of my team and and what it comes down to is that it's just funny because people are like, oh, man, it's the awkward moment of money. And in those moments, they're more that they don't even doesn't even cross their mind about the, about spending the money because, well, well, that's that's the oil that drives the device. You need to put the money in to pay the people who are going to do this great thing. And the whole transaction is outrageously superseded by the sense or perception of value that they're getting. And it's like the magic I'm receiving, the upside, the wins for us are awesome. Hell yes, have the money because I can mm -hmm. just see how I'm getting so much from this. And that's what a good deal looks like. It's not a begrudging, do you know what? I'll take a punt on it. And I, I, I can afford to lose, another word being kind of gamble, this much money and... And that's a reflection of poor trust uh, and not a sense of value. And, and that's where you get terrible things happening, like 
let's try and discount discount our way over the line and and things like that when in fact you should be working more on on building relationship and you know the science shows two-thirds of a reason why people buy something is really down to that connection people don't buy iphones because they need that particular type of phone it costs a thousand dollars they buy it because they're bought into being part of a tribe and having that connection with i with apple and so on and um you know and that's the bit that really matters and it's the trust in the brand and so on and and the uh, and the whole perception is there as opposed to it technically being pound for pound a better phone than the next one uh, on the shelf you know well i don't remember where i heard this but i loved this this expression i heard someone say you know people who don't talk about money don't make it mm. and it's this idea that when you're talking with a client if you're avoiding talking about money, it's because you have some sort of shame or you're mm. embarrassed. You don't think you're really worth it. Mm. But sometimes the best deal is when somebody says, okay, we're obviously talking about a big idea here. So yeah. let's, let's just confirm that we're talking about spending $100,000 or more. And your mm. client says, yes. And you I go, believe. great. Okay. Let's continue this conversation. This is really exciting. I'm not yeah. embarrassed about the money. I'm excited because now I know I can go create an amazing result. Mm. What would you say to that? How would you navigate that? I, I think is I think it's spot on, and and what it represents is the the bashfulness or concern over asking represents a, a fear based on the salesperson's doubts about what they have to offer and what's what's interesting about the, the the psychology behind things like deal confidence is if you imagine that every meeting you ever had converted to a huge deal think about how you'd react when you were in front of someone you just have that you'd have that kind of cocksure approach and you'd be really certain that there's just absolutely no problem at all to, to asking and the thing is this is that those that are, are, are fearful are preserving a state in that meeting or phone call or whatever of of things are kind of all right right now and I don't want to rock the boat and this is preferable to rejection or the unknown that may come from asking uh, for a deal or, or suggesting we talk about money. But something is there is something that supersedes feeling nice about a nice conversation, which is the truth. And the truth is what you should be chasing, which is where are we right now? Is this going to happen? And and one thing I've learned for certain is around decision makers, a little bit of candor goes a long way to building respect and to getting um, uh, a real vibe about if you're going to work together with someone. And it helps build that sense of trust and really nails the point you're not there to game anyone. And you're like, hey, let's just mm. be real right now. Are we talking about this? And and there's that euphoric moment where they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like you've just said, and, and you're like, okay, great, let's do this then. And, and I think the main thing is that people remember that if, if they are sold on the product or service and the value they're in when they go into a meeting, then, um, then they should have no problem with, with the price. And if they are getting concerned about talking about money, um, they shouldn't be in a meeting trying to sell their product right then. They need to go back 
speak to their manager or speak to their team or speak to whatever evangelist is necessary to say uh to say hey why are we worth this again and really get sold on what they're capable of doing because when you get it you can't help but but you know say to the person at the other side of the table like with with conviction you know this is this is really worth it and and it is effortless then to to talk about about money because you see why yeah you use the word candor and i'm wondering is that maybe a synonym for vulnerability yeah it can, i think it can be i think it can be and i think it is it also a lot of people think candor means being uh curt direct even bordering rude with someone but it doesn't need to mean that it means um openness and being uh, and 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 you know showing you on that wavelength with them so I, I i think it can do i really do and um it just kind of clears to one side any kind of um gaming that anyone might fear might be happening it's just like look let's get real right now and and the truth is people don't speak like that unless they are wanting to be open with someone because it's all shadiness otherwise and and um and uh you know we, we need people need to learn that that's something to be avoided you can't try and game someone into buying your deal you need to be open and, and really transparent with them. And that has to come across in the kind of vibe you give across and, and, and indeed in your language too. So I know one thing after looking at some of your materials and some of your things online, and by the way, your social media presence is, is pretty astounding. Uh, kudos Thank for you. all that you are able to do uh, in terms you. of keep, keeping your face and in your name out there it's it's it's, it's the team it's the team i cannot take credit for it otherwise I, it would be a full-time okay. job being online <laughs> of course well one thing that i came across was your basics of sales course mm. and here's what i'm curious here's what i'm curious to know because people can certainly go uh take a look at that and see if that's something they're interested in i'm just curious yeah. to hear what in your experience is it possible to take someone who is not only a creative, so this is someone that might have a rather fragile ego because mm. their work is an expression of their soul and all that goes with that. Mm. Is it possible to teach them these basics of sales and to even get them to a place where they understand and are comfortable entering into a high ticket sales conversation not only is it possible it's some often preferable and ego impedes the sale more than it more than often and in fact i'd like to think that to a degree i'm an example of that i'm not a mm. the classic template for a inverted commas sales guy um you know i i i was meant to be an academic and there was a sliding doors moment in 2001, I think it was, when um, I didn't get funding for my PhD. I was doing a master's degree in history at Warwick University. And my, my goal was to PhD, academic, sit, you know, wearing a, some old jump with holes in it and, and write books all my life and, and just be lost in the romance of, of learning. And I was very romantic about that kind of thing. And, and always being quite the introvert, uh, quite nerdy, quite shy, just classically not what you'd expect in a salesperson. And I think without question, um, 
the bigger the ticket sales, the the less of the wide boy you need, and the more of the the um, elegance is required. And and I was speaking to to um, um, a CEO of a company today in London about this, about how the, it, we were talking about his hiring program. One of the things that really matters is having um, a level of of certain level of wit about someone and someone who gets the depth of the product and what they're trying to do. And and, and if I look at some of the best people who sold uh, uh, on my teams, they've been the ones who um, are evangelists first for the story and they they get the greater good and they are wholly sold on the value. And then I teach them how to deliver that in such a way that it doesn't get boring or over chatty and it ends up taking someone on a journey that ends with them asking the salesperson to, to buy the product almost um as opposed to you know the far other extreme being some kind of putting some kind of leash on a pit bull it's far better in my opinion to have someone who has less ego because they are more likely to be able to listen and, and deploy empathy uh, to, to understand that that kind of state that the uh, that the person on the other side of the table is in, and that is where um, the, the 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 best salespeople are uh, uh, in. That's kind of the, the the space they inhabit in my in my experience. Well, that makes me curious because maybe what I heard in there when you said first be an evangelist for the story, which mm. I love. My sense is that what you are describing is that the opportunity to enter into a really wonderful sales conversation that might be a high ticket sales conversation, mm. that there's a lot of why in the start of the story, less about what or who or how, but you st you're starting with like a why, it's almost a Simon Sinek uh, yes. <laughs> start with why idea. Is that, is that a bit of what I'm hearing? It is a, it is to a degree, but it also, it also is important to kind of draw out the focus on, on the wins in inverted commas, uh, for the prospect, you know, so, so what are the actual outcomes for that person? And it, it, you know, that that married with the why is actually what people want to hear. They love the story because it gives it context, but they want the why because mm. it gives the magic of here's what you're going to get. People don't care how things work. What they care about is what do I get? And if that's married with a great story, then the, the guy buying the Ferrari doesn't care what it looks like or, or what that device actually is. They care about, am I going to feel successful? Am I going to get more sex? And am I going to look good? Therefore, have £100,000, please. And they're sold on that outcome. How it works, most people don't care about. And I think focusing on the wins for the prospect combined with a wonderful story is 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 really where people need to be focusing their effort well you're reminding me now have you heard this famous quote from the poet maya angelou where she said famously people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel precisely that's exactly it yeah and it's it's in that conversation that that the buyer I, I believe, I'm curious, you're the expert here, so you tell me, but I can't help but think that if I'm a buyer, I want somebody who gets it, mm. meaning I want somebody who can relate with the challenge that I'm mm. up against. 
what I'm trying to accomplish in the world, where I'm trying to get my career, what my wife and kids are worried about, and am I going to keep my job? Am I going to ever accomplish what I wanted to mm. accomplish with this job? I mean, it's these kinds of things. And if somebody can come in and tell me that their why and my why mm. are aligned and they're on my team, they're on my side, and I can trust them, then I don't really care, like you said, about the spark plugs yeah. or how the battery is connected. Like, just tell me your vehicle is going to get me down the road where I want to go yeah. and make me feel like I can trust you. And if and this is going to be fun and we're going to go do something amazing together. Yeah. And, you know, this is the upside of selling the human animal is that you are leveraging the fact we're social and we're tribal and we want people who vibe with us. And and as a result, the science shows that it's 10% of the reason why people buy that's the product. It's 30% of the reason people buy is like the process and method, but it's 60% ish of the reason why people buy is the connection and that feeling of this is a person who's like me, who has the same values, who gets me and, and in the sea of people who may be trying to screw me because I'm, you know, I've got to be skeptical and cynical about things. Wow. This guy seems to just, we, we hit it off. And, you know, we thing is we, it's no different to the to, to looking for cues from the offline world in, in, in the social space. You and I and most people listening will have friends that may may have known for 10, 15, 20 years. They will also have people they've known for a week. And it it seems weird because you'd think that time and an, an exposure are the ingredients to a, a really tight connection. But in fact, it's not that. It's are you on the same wavelength? And I have people I've known for, you know, 25 years who, if they wanted to go out for a drink, I'd be like, oh, I need to find an excuse. <laughs> and then there's people I've 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 met, um, you know, briefly, and it's like, let's hang out, you know. And and a perfect example, Tim, who's a uh, you know who who was was there in Milan. I your your partner, you know, I we hung out tonight and we had to cut it short because we knew you'd be going on all night otherwise. And there's someone I would happily go have a beer with. Yeah. Luckily you weren't there. I mean, it wouldn't have been as fun, but still, you know, you never, <laughs> I'm joking, but you never know where you never know where, what you're going to get until you realize that, that you're actually on the same wavelength as someone. So that's me ask this, because I know we're, we're about 40 or so minutes into this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think like you and Tim, I could talk to you all night, <laughs> but I know it's late there. It must be what? Is it almost midnight there in London? It's 20 to, 20 to midnight. And uh, yeah, no, it's all, this is my peak hours because I do a lot of US stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> well, let me do this. Before, before I let you go, I have one quirky little question mm. about a specific area of expertise. Okay. And it's about, it's about LinkedIn. And here's my question. What is it about LinkedIn and why is it so special? Because I'll just, I'm going to add this context mm. to the people that are running creative firms out there. Mm. I think most of them view LinkedIn as a platform for business <clears throat> yep. and therefore they don't think of it as a place where they can express their creativity and talk about design and feelings and art and so forth. Got it. Why, why am I wrong? Why should the, the guy or gal who runs a creative firm, why should they be 
paying attention or active on LinkedIn? It's such an important question and it is so topical. And, and yes, LinkedIn is a business platform because it's full of people with the job titles in that they are, that they have in their companies. But before people are their job title, they are people with the same urges and emotions and views and needs as you and I or anyone else. And so that creative who has a wonderful piece of art that, you know, might spark some conversation with a senior partner at a law firm isn't actually speaking first and foremost to a senior partner at a law firm. They're speaking to a human being. And it's the, the the emotional subconscious part of that brain that's going, do you know what? I love this guy. This feels good. This feels exciting. I love what they've done there or how they've expressed themselves. That is happening because it is a human animal engaging with that content before anything else. And the truth is that LinkedIn, this, this is something that will never happen again. It's not just a place where it's a, a wonderful interface or platform where you can put content up. It's uh, it's not even a place where it's it's, uh, you know, 600 million people who've been there for a long time. It is the combination of a huge volume of people who could buy or at least would consume and maybe distribute your product who are listening and viewing nothing, relatively speaking, right now. And just to make life really simple to explain that on link on on facebook the thing you do is you post content so it's noise on linkedin the thing you don't do is post content so it's silent but everyone's there and half of all users are on it every month and half of them use it every day and so to my friend alina in in uh, italy who posts who puts oil paintings up no one does that but and there will always be some people who say, oh, well, this is, you know, you shouldn't do this. This is LinkedIn. This is business. But in the main, there's a lot of people who are like, wow, great, great oil painting. That's really awesome. And so the opportunity is immense for people to leverage the fact it is, is relatively silent, but they've got the audience and, and in, you can put whatever you want in front of them because since everyone's there, there will be a group of people that are into whatever thing you do. And that might be the latest um, AR that you've put together um, that you can showcase in a video. Or it might be um, that I know people who do dancing. I know people who do singing and they are the person for that thing. And and it's you've got to see it as a content play um, and you're speaking to everyone. But the beauty of it is that it doesn't stop at social. If it needs to then map to a business outcome, it can, because that's the context of the platform. So hopefully I've articulated that well enough. Well, yeah, I think you have. It's, it's interesting because part of what I heard you say there was think about how you speak from one human animal to another. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's within the context of business and perhaps it's all towards a business outcome, mm. but ultimately you're a person speaking to a person. Yeah, exactly. And and before that, I say before that person is their job title, they're the, the similar person to you. And we've just talked about this, someone who might really get on with you and they're like a glass of wine at a pub, like the next person. And remember as well that whilst people use LinkedIn for business, they also use content for a break. And so if you put out an interesting bit of content that stimulates conversation rather than tries to sell people, 
which is why corporates in the main, uh, the one, ones I work with, when I go to them but with their LinkedIn strategy, they're failing miserably because they're like, hey, look at us, come and buy my thing, and no one's interested in that. Whereas if you actually take a step back and entertain or give value with no outward agenda or, or you know just generally be the host of a conversation about maybe the subculture of what you do or, or to stimulate some form of discussion or or interaction suddenly people start wanting to spend time around you and that converts to some really spectacular opportunities because you become the hub for these interesting you know, pieces of content, maybe it's discussion, maybe it's art, whatever it might be. And and there's enough people on there, there isn't elsewhere, but there are enough people on there that, that there will be plenty of little tribes of people who really dig whatever it is that you may do. Hmm. Well, let's, let's wrap it up with a one more reminder of uh, the event, mm. one that's happening this Thursday night in Atlanta, but also the this is an, an event series mm. that you do. Uh, if someone wants to find out more about that uh, event series, how where should we point them? Yeah, uh, probably the best place for now. If you go to the Richard Moore M O R E dot com, um, there's the tab that is Entrepreneur Business Live, and you can see all the events that are currently being rolled out. Um, so we've got Atlanta this week, London the next week, and then um uh plenty more coming through miami in in april and and some other lovely uh, locations as well so i'm really excited about it and uh, what's really nice is that we've we've created a really simple model where if people want to host their own entrepreneur business life they can go do it and i'll happily help them out with it and um uh you know it's nice now we, we i'm hoping that there are something like 30 or 40 events at least this year um uh, hopefully none of not all of them i'm traveling to go go to and but that people can run on their own and 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 do good things with so uh, the richardmore.com uh, you can find out much more information there or we have a page just search entrepreneur business live on linkedin oh that's very cool okay so the richardmore.com yeah and i i uh I'm like you. I wish I could go to every event, <laughs> but obviously time and uh, money and space being limited Indeed. as they are. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope to see you either in London or uh, New York, L.A., wherever soon. And of course, I'm excited to uh, join you thursday for the events yes. in atlanta i'll be watching be on the live stream in fact I'll, I'll be in la in september so we'll definitely hook up then that'd be really cool um but uh okay uh, sounds yeah, great yeah i'll be watching the live stream so uh, you make sure you wave well thanks so much for sharing your your perspective and your journey i appreciate the uh the the all the transitions that you've been through so just from one human animal as you say to another <laughs> thanks for thanks for being on the podcast you're welcome really enjoyed it joe thanks really stimulating stuff you've been listening to the rev thinking podcast for more information on upcoming accelerators events or to learn how rev think advises creative entrepreneurs like you connect with us at revthink.com I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, 
and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.